1: Hello, I've got some exciting news to share with you all at Retrition Plus, which, as many of you may know, is my evidence-based supplements company. We've relaunched, and there are four incredible products on offer. The Daily Vegan Multi-Still, a Pregnancy Multivitamin, and an Adult's Vitamin D Daily Spray. But here's another new one, the Kids' Daily Vitamin D Drops. At Retrition Plus, of course, the approach I've always had is that it's rooted in science. It's not in fleeting trends. We will only ever partner in the fact that we want to achieve a healthier, more balanced you. We're equally passionate about the well-being of our planet. So for me, Retrition Plus is transparent. We are sustainable and responsible. You know, our approach to well-being is at the core of everything that we do. Our supplements are designed so you can live and breathe a healthy diet and balanced lifestyle. I do develop this idea in lockdown I've had my children and that's where the passion I suppose really comes. If you guys want to go and check out the range at Retrition Plus and our new products which I know are going to help so many people just head over to retritionplus.com and you can also check us out on social media at Retrition Plus. Hello welcome back. To season 16 of food for thought i can't actually believe it i can't even believe we're on season 16. and i'm back in the studio here in london it's fantastic we've got the most incredible lineup of guests that are going to be bringing you the most fascinating conversations with nutrition, health and wellness fields. We've definitely gone above and beyond, guys, this time. I want to make sure that we have all the best information out there to equip you with the latest scientific evidence and research so you can, of course, live and breathe a healthy lifestyle, supporting you to make informed decisions because, after all, you're the ones that make the decisions with your life. A little bit about me. For those of you that don't know, I am Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author of The Science of Nutrition, many other books there too, the founder of Harley Street Clinic, Retrition, and the evidence-based supplements company Retrition Plus. Over the next few weeks, my guests and I aim to use science-based research, so we're going to sort fact from fiction. There is an overwhelming amount of confusing health information out there, so join us to dispel everything that remains misunderstood within the world of wellness. And as always, thank you so much gosh we couldn't do it without you wonderful listeners honestly the messages i received the support the love it's incredible and i can't wait to hear what you think of the new season so let's go our guest today is an expert in all things sleep and insomnia. Hallelujah. I've been so excited to do another episode on sleep. There is no doubt that a good night's sleep can definitely set you up for a busy day. I know I feel absolutely horrendous when I've been up with the kids or I haven't slept well. My whole day has changed. My mood has changed. And there are so many people in the UK that struggle to get a good quality sleep or even enough. And how do we know how much is enough for you? These are all questions I want to ask today. So there's so much advice out there. About how to get the best sleep. It can actually be a bit of a minefield and quite stressful to navigate. So, thank goodness I've got Lindsay Browning here. She is a chartered psychologist and a neuroscientist who holds a PhD from the University of Oxford in insomnia. Who knew? What a fascinating PhD to have. She is the author of Navigating Sleeplessness and founder of her sleep consultancy and therapy practice, Trouble Sleeping. I think I need to book in with you. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I was reading your credentials. Like, wow, what an <laughs> amazing area to study. How on earth did you get into the area of sleep? Um, well, I studied
0: psychology at my first degree and then my, uh, I did a master's in neuroscience. And sleep at the time, well, still somewhat, was such an unknown field, a bit like space, you know. Yeah. So, you know, studying the brain, neuroscience, and then sleep was just such an interesting subset of that. So I just sort of fell into it. And when you're doing a a doctorate, you have to sort of pick a research field that everyone in the university is studying. And and there was a professor, Alison Harvey, who was studying that. So, yeah, I just worked with her and my, my doctorate was specifically studying and treating
1: insomnia at the University of Oxford. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, it's going to help a lot of people, I think, today's episode because we hear about people struggling with sleep all the time, don't we? Um, you know, whether it's like myself as a parent, you just don't get any or it's the quality of it, the quantity you're able to get. Some people work night shifts, some people don't. It's what on earth are the top tips for a good night's sleep. Let's start there. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, well, first of all, it's making the
0: time to sleep. I think that's the biggest reason. Although we all know that the recommendations are we should get somewhere between seven and nine hours sleep a night. Most, you know, most people don't get that much sleep. And for some people, it's because they can't sleep. And that's insomnia when they want to sleep, but they can't. But for m- most people, it's because they don't have time to sleep. So the, you know, the basic top tip for sleep is to go to bed so that you can get enough sleep. Because if you go to bed at midnight and have to get up at six, there is literally no way you're going to get the recommended amount of sleep. No. So that would be like my biggest top tip. But it's, it's really hard to do that when life is so busy mm. and then especially post you know, COVID mm. and there's sort sleep procrastination, which your know, revenge sleep procrastination, where people deliberately don't go to sleep because they want to get some time for themselves, especially when we're working at home and we're parents and our entire life is taken up by someone else. We go to
1: bed. Catch up with all your life. <clears throat> yeah. And you're like, oh, I just need a little bit of time to just scroll through rubbish that's and what social I do. media. I get into bed and I'm like, right, who haven't I messaged my friends in ages? Mm-hmm. And my WhatsApp's got so many unread messages. And that's the only time a day as a parent you get a chance to even look at your phone yeah, like that.
0: Absolutely. So you go to bed with all the good intentions mm. of going to bed at 10, but half 11, you're still scrolling.
1: And let's discuss productivity because surely, I mean, I'd anecdotally find that if I do go to bed earlier, if I'm able to, I am just ten times more productive. So the work, I've realised this now, writing books, there's no point in me writing books at the evening after the kids have gone to bed. It's just not as good as during the day. Is is there a bit of research behind that? Well, that suggests to me that you're a lark. Ah, okay. <clears throat> so like larks and owls. I like they're... singing. Oh, okay.
0: okay. <laughs> I'm a lark. That <laughs> could be a singing thing, but no. Yeah. larks and owls is kind of like a, a circadian rhythm. So we yeah. all have a circadian rhythm, which means um, when our body what time our body mm. thinks it is basically and some people tend to be ones who when the alarm goes off they're, they're maybe awake before it and they're up bright and early and they're getting on with the day and by the time 9 o'clock comes they just want to go to bed yeah. and other people who getting up in the morning is an absolute nightmare. Teenagers are a typical example mm. of that but when the evening comes they don't want to go to bed they're still going. i friends and... like that they're so Absolutely. awake at night. Yeah so lots of people are in the middle they're just yeah. you know typical but the extremes are you know larks and owls and if someone is a lark that means that they are more alert more bright and early early in the day and therefore once the kids are gone to bed your body is not okay to be doing mm. d- difficult complex tasks if you were an owl obviously metaphorically not actually yeah. an owl yeah. um <laughs> then you're doing doing all that book writing first thing in the morning is going to be really difficult whereas once kids have gone to bed your brain is still going really million miles an hour and you don't want to stop so some of it is about understanding who you are and your Mm. sort of chronotype and working
1: with that as well which is so important yeah i guess that is my chronotype and i'm sure a lot of people will be on in the middle or like Mm -hmm. you said each each end of the spectrum and i sometimes find as well when you get to around three four o'clock oh my goodness my focus is just already out the window is that to do naturally with cortisol levels or this the hormones getting ready for sleep already so if you're talking early? about a sort of the afternoon dip we yeah. all have uh you know our
0: bodies naturally want us to have mm. a sleep just after lunch like mm. a siesta and you know if you look at when when it's easy to fall asleep it's difficult to fall asleep at nine in the morning typically but it's very easy to fall asleep at one in the afternoon two in the afternoon and again it's hard to fall asleep at 7 p.m but it's easy to fall asleep at 10 11 because that's when our body thinks we should be sleeping so our body thinks we should have a nap just after lunch i love that that's why children nap Mm -hmm. well children nap because they well they they can't stay awake. yeah (laughs) they, they need a lot more sleep but yeah that when we nap and even into adulthood there's tons of research to suggest that embracing that having a bit of a catch-up sleeper nap just after lunch it, when your body wants you to have a sleep is so good for you so you might find that if you're flagging at three four in the afternoon if you could find a way to have a little top-up nap mm-hmm. like a 20-minute nap just after lunch you might not be feeling The time interests
1: me because i've had a lot of different theories of how long a nap should be Mm -hmm. should it be 10 minutes 20 minutes should you do a full hour what are your thoughts on that brilliant so the point is we have these things called sleep cycles Yes. so um we
0: tend to have uh different parts of sleep you have This a long answer no it's it's good you've got to
1: discuss REM sleep (laughs) exactly
0: so um when we sleep we have different parts of sleep we have three main different parts of sleep we have light sleep deep sleep and REM sleep yes. or rapid eye movement sleep and these um, different parts of sleep go in cycles so approximately every hour and a half ish we will go through light sleep deep sleep and dream and REM sleep <clears throat> and that will start again so if you have a nap what you want to do ideally is to have a full sleep cycle which is like an hour and a half ish oh, wow. or just have a short sleep that's about 20 minutes, 25 minutes maybe, 15, 20, 25 minutes. That means you'll stay in light sleep when you wake up. Now having between 20 minutes and an hour and a half isn't really recommended for a nap because what you'll do is you'll find yourself waking up after an hour's sleep from within deep sleep. And it's grumpy. It feels horrible. Exactly. And what the reason is, our body, we have a thing called sleep inertia. Our bodies want us to finish a full sleep cycle. And if we wake up halfway through, your body is desperately trying to pull you back into being asleep. So if you have an hour's nap, the positive is you've had an hour's sleep, which is hugely beneficial. But the negative is at that moment you wake up, you'll feel dreadful. Mm. And of course, if we want to take an afternoon nap, we don't want to waste that time feeling sluggish afterwards it's not problem it just means that'll take you a little while to sort of get rid of that sh- sleep inertia yeah. and feel more bright and alert that's why we recommend a 20 minute nap or if your
1: boss allows and life allows an hour exactly. and a half would be it's great time in the day with the work but <clears throat> I find that so interesting and another another thing I hear a lot colloquial people saying is that oh I've had a nap I won't sleep tonight now how true is that
0: well it depends how much sleep you've had so I sort of have an analogy with food a lot of the time. So we have a seven to nine hour sleep need every 24 hours, say. So if you're taking a lot of if you're having some of that sleep during the day, you won't need as much at night. So people on the continent who do have regular siestas, like a couple of hours at lunchtime, say, which is very typical, they'll sleep maybe five hours a night. And you might think, oh, my goodness, five hours is not enough sleep. But you've got to add on the sleep you had at lunchtime. So if you've had a nap... If it's about 20-minute nap, that's a very small amount of sleep. And especially if it was just after lunch, yeah. miles from bedtime, it shouldn't affect your sleep needs that much. But if you have a, a nap later in the day or a much, much longer nap, like an hour and a half nap, for example, you're not going to need as much sleep that night. So
1: have the Mediterranean's got it right and we've got it wrong? And I always thought it was about having eight hours in a row rather Mm -hmm. than it being broken up around Mm -hmm. the day. So that's fascinating. Yeah, so um, the point is
0: um, we do better when we sleep when our body thinks it's night time, which our circadian rhythm controls that. So our circadian rhythm says, oh, we should sleep at night, be awake during the day. So we definitely, it's better for our bodies to have the majority of our sleep at night when our body thinks we're asleep and we should be asleep. But that little like siesta time just after lunch fits in with our natural biology, how our body works. Um so it doesn't need to be in one block, but if you can have the majority of your sleep at nighttime, that's
1: that's better. Amazing. It's I think that's really helpful for people listening. Also gives them hope because for different situations, work, lifestyle, there are options for you that can still perhaps undo any of the damage of not getting sleep, which we can touch on later. Now, let's talk about the science of the brain, so how it works with sleep, because a lot of people buy into melatonin pills. I know mm-hmm. you're not really in this country, but it's yeah, a yeah. popular thing. And um, are they effective?
0: Well, that's a great question, because uh, in the UK, which is one of the few countries in the mm-hmm. world where you can't just pop yeah. to the shop and buy melatonin, and you know, we could debate whether that's a good thing or not. But but I. I like to help people to sleep well without needing to rely on medication. Now, melatonin isn't a sleeping pill, like a prescription Mm. sleeping pill, and it works in a completely different way. So melatonin tells your body when to sleep. So we go back to that circadian rhythm, Mm. which tells your body when it's nighttime, when it's time to be awake. Melatonin tells your body, yes, we should be sleeping now.
1: And is that produced more in the dark?
0: Yes, and our brains produce it naturally when... It's dark. Mm-hmm. And when it's bright light, our body doesn't produce melatonin. Mm-hmm. And that's why things like bright blue light screens can mess up your your sleep. Mm-hmm. Because if you're exposing yourself to lots of bright light, your body naturally will say, oh, it's not nighttime. You're in bed, you're scrolling through the phone, your brain goes, oh, no, it can't be bedtime because look at all this bright light we're looking Mm. at. Let's not produce melatonin. So some people take melatonin supplements thinking it will help their sleep. But the reality is, if you're naturally producing melatonin yourself, you don't need any supplements. It's like if you have a vitamin C deficiency, Mm. taking more vitamin C is going to do nothing.
1: I mean my question on this is is it even effective taking melatonin pill does it reach the pathway it needs to reach that's what I'm really interested right. in I think it's because back in the day I used to be a singer before I embarked upon my nutritional science degrees and I did a lot of travelling around the world I was really lucky and one of my um, one of the members in my my band at the time, we were opera quartet. Used, she was from Vancouver. Oh, I've got my melatonin pills. I remember her so clearly. She was so funny. She's like, I've got my pills. Does everyone want one? You know, like when we got on the plane to do these gigs. So I'm fascinated to know if it's like a placebo, does sure. it even work and why it's not available in the UK. So the point is, melatonin tells your body
0: when to sleep. So with things like jet lag, which is exactly what your yeah. Vancouver friend was talking about, melatonin can be extremely effective because... When we experience jet lag, we're trying to sleep at a time when our body thinks we should be awake. Mm. So it's very hard to sleep. If you take a melatonin supplement, your body isn't naturally producing melatonin itself because it thinks it's daytime. So you take a melatonin supplement capsule and your body has all this melatonin and you can sleep more easily. So when people are jet lagged, um, potentially working shifts... Um, or if they have um, a neurological deficiency in melatonin, like people who are blind, because they don't have of course. The, the, the bright the light. The light exposure. It depends how you're blind. If it's a cortical, like if you're blind because your brain can't process it or if your eyes are faulty. Right. If you're blind where your eyes can't process the light, you can't produce melatonin naturally at the right wow. time because you don't know what brightness is and not so blind people often have to take melatonin or p- kids with adhd and autism can have a deficiency in melatonin
1: wow i did not know that yeah
0: so there are some situations where melatonin is necessary and in the over 55s as we get older we can sometimes start to produce less melatonin so on the nhs gps can prescribe circadian mm. for the elderly however for neurotypical like uh younger people there's no reason to have melatonin supplements because it's very unlikely that you're that you have a deficiency melatonin as a as a sleep aid for insomnia has a great placebo effect yeah and that's where it's really strong meaning that yeah. if i gave you some smarties and said these are going to really help you sleep tonight and yeah. you, you it would help you sleep because you're, oh great i've had Lindsay's smarties yeah. I've, i'm going to sleep yeah, really well got
1: magic potions.
0: <laughs> so yeah it depends so the melatonin it's very effective if you're not producing melatonin at the right time because of a neurological problem or because of jet lag but if you are in a typical nine to five job and nothing's changed melatonin is highly unlikely to be helpful
1: so it's really good to know that it is there for people that need it because i've read as well that sleep deficiency affects our you know our lifespan how true is that i mean is it true we need seven to nine hours um yeah well
0: science suggests that people should get somewhere between seven to nine hours sleep regularly meaning not a feast and famine not neglecting it during the week and then catching up at the weekend um and that sleeping well for those amounts of hours regularly helps to increase your lifespan, it helps to decrease your risk of certain types of cancers, of dementia, of heart attacks, of stroke, of diabetes, of obesity, of um, depression, anxiety, the list goes on. There is no getting away from the fact that sleeping sufficiently regularly is fantastic for our health. But the problem is most people know this and for some people they need to be told it in a bit more forcefully because they're not prioritizing their sleep just like with nutrition as you oh, talk, yeah, yeah. yeah we all know we should eat healthily but how many people don't despite the fact they know it so the same with sleep now the trouble is and again a parallel with with um, nutrition if someone knows that they need that amount of sleep and they're trying to get it but they can't because mm. they have insomnia ramming down their throat oh my goodness if you don't sleep well you're going to die a horrible death and oh, blah, 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 makes it even worse yeah. just like if somebody has anorexia. The last thing I need to be told is the dangers of of obesity. No, we're
1: talking mental health. I mean, if you describe insomnia first for our listeners so they Mm -hmm. know how to define an obsolesion, speak to your GP if you have insomnia, right?
0: Definitely. So insomnia is uh, is not getting no sleep whatsoever because sometimes people think that's what it means. Mm. It means you have trouble falling asleep, so it takes you maybe more than 30 minutes to fall asleep, or you wake up in the night and you can't get back to sleep again. It takes you more than 30 minutes to maybe fall asleep, back to sleep again, Um, or you're waking up much earlier than your ideal waking time and that you have a problem during the day coping. So it doesn't matter if it takes you ages to fall asleep, but once you're asleep and you wake up the next morning, you feel fine. That's not insomnia. That's suggesting that you're going to bed too early. Um, Whereas if you're trying to fall asleep, but you don't get enough sleep and then Mm. the next day you feel tired, you're not able to cope, that's insomnia. And absolutely, someone should speak to their GP and they really should because loads of people don't speak to their GP because they think well all they're going to say is give me sleeping pills and I know they're not good for me but there is actually really good treatment for insomnia so insomnia could be caused by uh, a deficiency of something so a thyroid issue or an iron issue something else going on which a GP could pick up Mm. and resolve or if it's a, a more sort of psychological insomnia, which is more common, mm. meaning someone's really stressed, their, their brain lifestyle is, today, yeah, yeah, their brains just like won't switch off at night. Mm. They know they want to sleep, but they're so stressed about it. I they're find not anxiety
1: as well. I know mm-hmm. post children. I can only speak obviously from the parenthood angle, but the anxiety of sleeping if absolutely. your baby's sleeping and you're used to them being awake it's really difficult.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So all these factors mm. can make it really, really hard to fall asleep, even though you want to and you're trying, and you feel horrendous. The absolutely. Next day really horrendous and worrying about sleep constantly. Nauseous
1: so, as well, I've noticed, when you don't sleep. You have jittery,
0: headaches, body aches, yeah, fully nauseous, all of these things. Um, but the, the GP can suggest that you have CBTI, which is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy for Insomnia. Oh. Now this is, it sounds like CBT for depression, but it's, it's specifically for insomnia, CBTI. And it's a treatment which actually helps you to relearn how to sleep. Because, wow. um, and it's so effective and it doesn't need any drugs so yeah people should definitely speak to the doctor about that
1: what a fascinating area and it, do you have a stat for off the top of your head how many people in the population experience insomnia I'm sure it's huge no it is and I absolutely did have a stat and I, was <laughs> writing know. That yesterday. I put you on the spot <clears throat> you did I think it's like
0: it's, it's like 30%, 30% wow. of people, yeah, um, yeah one, one in three in UK. It doesn't the UK. surprise
1: me because it's also something that's so flippantly mentioned, oh, you know, I've got insomnia, without obviously the the yeah. actual insomnia. But for a lot of people, it is so serious. Yeah. And is it something that comes on more as we age? Uh, actually, interestingly, kind of, yes. Yeah. So about
0: one in three people will, will experience sort of poor sleep uh, reg- uh, during the year, but for it to be insomnia ongoing for a long period of time, yeah. it's more like sort of one in ten, I believe. So the incidence of insomnia tends to increase with age. Um, and also, quite interestingly, it's women report 40% more insomnia is than it men. Is during the
1: menopause? I've read that menopause massively yeah. impacts. Why is that? Is it the drop of oestrogen? Does it impact sleep? So women
0: inc- um, have much more risk of insomnia from puberty onwards. So it's not just at menopause. and But of course, from puberty onwards... What are women faced with? Changing hormones. Yeah. Monthly. So when, Constantly. Yeah. Every month their hormone levels change. When you get pregnant, your hormone levels yeah. change. When you stop being pregnant, your hormone levels change. Mm-hmm. When you go through perimenopause, yeah, mm. premenopause, postmenopause, there is constant flux of hormones. And hormones have such an impact on, on sleep um, regulation, but not just directly on sleep, but also on mood. Yeah. And, of course, anxiety. And when we are anxious, we don't sleep because it's about that. When you're anxious, when you're fearful, of course, your body won't want you to sleep because it wants you to stay awake. Survival mechanism. Absolutely, to deal with the problem. So, you know, especially when people go through menopause and they have those anxiety surges, as well as physical problems with sleep, such as the night sweats. You wake up, you're covered in sweat
1: around and of you that time sleep. of month
0: as well i mean mm-hmm. i get night sweats
1: around that time of month since having my children i know it's the hormone fluctuations yeah. absolutely
0: and yeah, when you're pregnant yeah. physically it's uncomfortable to sleep yeah. so there are all sorts
1: of issues that that men or people born as male don't, have, don't to. have to deal with i know i've got two boys i mean gosh they don't know how lucky they are <laughs> i i think it's but it's so important we have these discussions because i feel that as women if we're open and we talk about this and we know what to expect and we know we're not alone to start with because even just having that touch on anxiety I'm thinking oh gosh you know you think I'm sure everyone listening is like oh that's me Mm -hmm. I do that I catastrophize before bed or I'm there in my own thoughts I can't switch off I think it's so common and obviously as a nutritionist I'm fascinated in the dietary area as well linking to sleep and we've obviously looked at carbohydrates the importance of those with production of serotonin I don't know if you could give us I want to hear from you your dietary tip if any well there's
0: things like intermittent fasting I'm not sure how what you feel about that but that's very um, big and uh, in at the moment but things like sleep and hunger aren't best friends no I
1: would say oh you can't sleep if you're hungry exactly
0: so the point is as much as they're probably you know and I'm not a nutritionist that lots of people evidence suggesting that intermittent fasting is really great for you if your main problem is is insomnia
1: you can't fall asleep and you haven't eaten anything. by the way we're not fans of fasting here. okay it works for some not for others you don't <laughs> yeah, need yeah, to yeah. tread on eggshells with me on that <laughs> i'm not a one-size-fits-all person yeah, yeah. On exactly the and that's what i no. feel about sleep as well yeah because if you do want to do that
0: and you sleep fine yeah. brilliant go for it but if you're going to bed and you haven't eaten for hours and hours and hours then your body is going to be on edge you're yeah. going to be anxious because you know as cavemen we are motivated to do something about hunger because when we were cavemen and we all sat in a cave, if we were hungry but sleepy, we just thought, "Oh, I'm hungry, but I can't be bothered. I'm just have a sleep." Mm. Humanity would have died out mm. thousands and thousands of years ago of hunger, of mm. starvation, because yeah. no one could be bothered to find food. Yeah. So when we're hungry, our body goes, "Oh, we should do something about this. We should go and." hunt for a deer or forage mm-hmm. for berries or go to the fridge so if you're going to bed hungry it's going to impact your sleep and also not just getting to sleep but waking up in the middle of the night and people often they'll, they'll wake up at 2, 3 in the morning go downstairs and have a warm glass of milk that will help go back to sleep again however mm. I don't want people to eat in the middle of the night no because uh, oh, you your know, digestion in, yeah it it's, shuts down yeah. overnight it's, it's linked to your circadian mm-hmm. rhythm so therefore if you are waking up in the middle of the night hungry that's a sign you need to eat something before bed so that it will give you that slow release sustained mm-hmm. energy through the night to help you go back we to sleep. we say again. two
1: to three hours have your last big meal before bed yeah, that's perfect yeah Absolutely. and some people you know i've noticed that again <clears throat> i've only witnessed it raising my children the importance of food and sleep yeah you know, people talk about it. You'll have a full tummy, and then you'll go to sleep. It's so true, isn't yeah, but it's it? Yeah, it's so perfect. That word, so
0: What happens on Christmas Day after Christmas lunch? We all fall asleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now, there's a difference between you know, like like you said, two to three hours before bed, because you don't want to have a massive meal right before bed. And we're and obviously have so privileged,
1: right, that we've got access to yeah, food. Absolutely. Of course, there are people in the world that don't. Mm-hmm. And and especially think, the cost
0: of living crisis. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's not yeah. not even just a, a Western, you know, privileged no. society
1: situation. No, exactly, and. and I really think if we can hammer home something in this conversation, as if we have access to good nutrition, let's try and maximise it, and let's Absolutely. help us sleep a little bit because it's so important. But if you have any tips then for people with insomnia that are listening right now, um, what would be your top three tips for them? Sure. So if you are going to bed and your brain is really, really busy and you are anxious,
0: it's about addressing that. So often that's the number one reason people tell me they can't sleep is because they lie down in bed and their brain just starts worrying and that's because your brain has to do that thinking. You know, people try to to stop, you know, empty the mind, or try and um, have tablets, or just try and you know get rid of those thoughts. To like an audio thing. But the point is, your brain is having these thoughts because they're important. You can't keep just pushing them away. You know, you you're a busy working mum myself too. We're busy all day long. We get up in the morning, we have to get the kids sorted. We've got to get them to school. We've got to do our work. There's no time to, for your own there thoughts. There is no time for anything. No, there isn't. And then you lie down in bed, turn the lights off. It's dark, it's quiet, and your brain goes, bing. That's it. That's Let's it. Let's think about everything. Yeah. Let's think about that email we didn't send to yes. so-and-so. Or, oh, my goodness, I
1: can't <laughs> believe that she said that to me and I should have said that in reply. But for me, I've got this terrible <clears throat> habit also of... Um, I don't normally divulge this many personal areas, but I think it might be helpful for our listeners. I am that person that doesn't think happy thoughts sometimes for bed. I worry about things mm-hmm. a lot. I'm a worrier, so yeah. I'll be thinking of the state of the planet or I'll Absolutely. be thinking of all these things that, you're right, we don't have time to think about mm-hmm. in the day, so it pops up. Yeah, and this is really common with children as
0: well because what do we do as parents? We tuck them into bed mm. and as we're talking with men, we say, oh, and how was your how was your day at school, Jimmy? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't great, Mummy, I was bullied by... John oh, oh that's a shame good night and off oh. you go and then
1: <laughs> oh no I don't I'm not looking forward to that stage
0: <laughs> and then the kid is just thinking about all this stuff yeah so what we have to do is for our model to our children and for us is to make time during the day to do that thinking mm. we can't just block it off or just pretend it's not there mm. so it we can call it worry time we can call it journaling we can call it you know there are also like gratitude journals whatever works for you Find some time, make some time. And all we're talking about is 15 minutes in the day, 1-5. Early in the day, ideally sort of 6, 7, 8 p.m. So it's a couple of hours before bed. And ideally, I say in the evening because you want the day to have happened. Because if you do it first thing in the morning, that's easy. But what if you have an argument with someone during the day? Mm. You need some time to reflect on that. So find 15 minutes when you're not scrolling through whatever or watching Netflix and write write down a piece of paper whatever is worrying you or whatever is on your mind you might not feel think then people there is type anything it on the, yeah absolutely writing. i'm so, a writer as well
1: i love old school i know writing. i can't process about writing yeah
0: but There's yeah younger people, we'll people
1: type. like absolutely i'm i'm old uh, but
0: <laughs> oh, but I know, as i tell people you know if you're of the, the, the younger generation
1: it will be on the they won't even
0: have a pen i mean they they'll oh, be gosh. like what even is a pen mm. so yes typing <laughs> is fine the uh, science suggests that physically the act of writing with a pen is most effective but I'm sure that that's going to change as generations come through but yeah it's just about brain dumping think of it as writing down your worries writing down whatever you did today it's just a case of getting stuff from your brain out of your brain and then when you
1: lie down in bed your brain will be clearer. It's like a light bulb moment for me just sitting here now thinking, of course, of course, we all need this reminder that your yeah. brain has to process what's happened that day yeah. and all of us to shut it off because we exactly. don't think we have time. Well, we don't. It's hard yeah, to find we don't make time, time for
0: it. And that's what dreams are as well. Our dreaming sleep is our brain's way of processing emotion and what's been going on in our life. So there is some truth then behind these people that can interpret dreams. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, <laughs> well, interpret dreams in so much as if you're dreaming about something very stressful maybe there's something very stressful happening in your life i would say there is very limited science to suggest if you dream of a red balloon you're going to go on a trip somewhere the next day that's but but yeah dreaming sleep is massively important it's it's our brains like it's like free therapy overnight so again if you are having lots of difficult emotional uncomfortable dreams Often, if people are going through a hard time, these dreams will be, they won't be pleasant. They'll be full of, packed with negative emotion and people will wake up a lot during the night because these dreams are too much, too big. So rather than, you know, people say, how can I stop dreaming? You can't stop dreaming. But what you can do is make time during the day Mm. to process these emotional issues that you're clearly going through so that your brain won't have to do it for you. In the middle of the night whether that be writing therapy or speaking to someone like in post-traumatic stress disorder PTSD yes talk to someone deal with that during the day and then those those terrible repeated nightmares will stop
1: so that's the most amazing tip for people with insomnia I think possible and it really made me think what about when you wake up in the morning and you remember your dream and other times you don't does that mean you've woken up in the REM cycle yeah exactly so um remember I
0: spoke at the beginning about what is a sleep cycle so a sleep cycle is approximately an hour and a half like 90 to 110 minutes it's vague but basically we go light sleep deep sleep REM sleep and REM sleep rapid eye movement sleep is the part when we tend to dream and then it will repeat again in like kind of like waves across the night now a couple of really important things about this first of all are in between each sleep cycle this is probably if you're listening this is one of the most important things to take Ooh, away okay
1: take this away yeah, everyone this pens and paper out make a note
0: between each sleep cycle you'll wake up every single person on the planet wakes up about every hour and a half but the point is you'll only remember waking up if you're awake for at least a couple of minutes because it takes a couple of minutes to process that memory of waking up store it in your brain to remember it the next morning now we, i'm going to come back to the dreaming thing but yeah no no linked. no it's good it's good um Now, this is important because when you're 21, you probably go to bed at half 10 or 11, wake up at 7 the next morning and don't remember waking up and you'll think, oh, I slept through the night solidly in one solid block. What a great night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And then you get older and you have children and they wake you up. Or you get older and you wake up and you worry about things in the night or you wake up because you need the loo or you wake up because you have a, a hormonal flush, you know, a night sweat. And people think, oh no, this is terrible. My sleep has suddenly become fragmented, disjointed. It's bad quality sleep because I'm waking up in the night and I need to sleep like I did when I was 18, 21 and sleep in a solid block. And I say to them, that's literally impossible. No one sleeps in a solid block. They just will be awake for 30 seconds to a minute, adjust the covers, roll over, go back to sleep again and not remember it. But their sleep was still fragmented. And that's so important because when you're waking up in the night and you think that's a problem, then you wake up, oh no, I've woken up, this is terrible, my sleep's bad quality. Of course, you're anxious, you're stressed, you won't go back to sleep again. So don't worry about waking up in the night. As long as you go back to sleep again, it's not a problem. So back to the dreaming thing. When we wake up, which we do throughout the night, um, if we wake up from REM sleep or from dreaming sleep, then we are likely to remember having a dream if we wake up from light sleep or deep sleep we won't remember dreaming probably because we we're unlikely to be dreaming in those parts of sleep mm. so people who think oh i never dream they do they absolutely do they just don't wake up from that part of sleep and people who always dream just tend to happen to wake up from REM sleep if you never dream and you really want to remember your dreams then what you can do is set your waking alarm of course 20 minutes earlier half an hour earlier see if you can catch
1: yourself in dreaming sleep <gasps> and wow. then you're
0: likely to you and quickly know, write it, it down
1: because we forget it yeah, we forget absolutely. the dream you know <clears throat> yeah. I, I know I woke up this morning think in the middle of a dream that's why I, I asked I'm sure I did because I remember thinking I thought oh I've slept through the night last night I was like yay that one of those rare <laughs> moments where I've slept obviously I hadn't but wow but I've forgotten already what on earth I was even dreaming about but when you go to sleep tonight and your brain starts going into a similar sleepy phase you might find the dream come back, comes back yeah. to you yeah Wow. Love it. Now, we've got so many questions for you, Lindsay, from our listeners. It was hard to even write down which ones to put in. Um, based on what we've discussed, uh, let's start with this one from Ian, who said, I don't feel rested when I wake up. How can I get a deeper sleep? So this is obviously, is a, a bit mathematical, question. isn't it? Now you've just said about timing. <laughs> okay. So there's a few things in there i like okay. to unpick. Yes.
0: So people obsess about getting more deep sleep. This is a really common thing. Now, again, like if you weren't paying attention, this is another important thing. Deep sleep doesn't equal good sleep. Think about... Okay. It's really important. Think about sleep and the different parts of sleep, light sleep, deep sleep, dreaming sleep, like a plate of food. Now, deep sleep is like broccoli. Yes, it's good for you. Absolutely. You know more than anyone. If you only ate broccoli, would you be healthy? No. No, you're being deeply unhealthy because you need calcium, carbohydrate, you need all sorts of you need all the different nutrients available to be healthy. Sleeps like that. Deep sleep, yes, it's important, but so is light sleep, so is REM sleep. They are all important parts like a plate of food, a balanced plate of food. And for people to obsess that deep sleep is the important part, it's ridiculous. Because A, you can't control it, really and b it's just part of sleep and we can never know how we slept unless we have a polysomnography recording our brain so yeah. for that gentleman he needs to not worry about getting more deep sleep because it's all important part of yeah. sleep. but the fact that he wakes up feeling, feeling unrefreshed not, yeah. that's not great now it could mean does he only feel unrefreshed for the first 10-15 minutes after waking because if so that's probably sleep inertia and he's probably waking up from a deeper part of sleep Waking up, still feeling sleepy, but if an hour after waking he feels fine and he is fine yeah. for the rest of
1: the day, I am not worried about and that. And a nutritional note: hydrate, hydrate, <clears throat> hydrate when you wake up, please. People just don't do that. Excellent, yeah. Um, however, if his tiredness and fatigue
0: continues through the day, and he's getting seven to nine hours sleep, then that says to me, okay, maybe the sleep quality you are getting isn't good enough. In which case, the the number one reason across the sort of world that could be the cause of that is something called sleep apnea. And sleep apnea is a a breathing disorder during the sleep, when you repeatedly stop breathing during the night, and every time you stop breathing, your oxygen content goes down in your your blood until your brain realises, oh my goodness, we're not breathing. It wakes you up, big surge of adrenaline, and you go back to sleep again. I have a family member with that, they mm -hmm. have to sleep with a box. Yeah, yeah, with a CPAP machine. Mm. Now the point is, with, with sleep apnea, you could wake up hundreds of times in the night, but you won't remember waking up because you weren't awake for two minutes when you woke up to be able to store that memory. So for this gentleman, he might think he sleeps solidly for seven to nine hours, but in fact, he might be waking up repeatedly with something like sleep apnea. So if you are getting enough sleep um, and feeling fatigued during the day, not just just after waking, speak to your doctor because you might need to have a sleep assessment to find out what's going on to figure out why is the quality sleep you're getting which should be enough not enough
1: wow do you see we can actually speak to our doctor about that sort of thing which i think a lot of people are not aware of Mm -hmm. i didn't know that it was that simple to get an assessment about sleep from your gp so that if you
0: have those symptoms especially if you snore a lot you wake up gasping for breath
1: these are all signs potential signs of sleep apnea that's so interesting thank you so much what a good question ian that was good um kirsty oh i like this are daylight lamps beneficial in the winter? So, you know, you get those um, sad, lamps. sad lamps. Absolutely. So yeah. they are
0: great. Okay. Now, not f- not for everybody, because there are um, situations when you shouldn't use one. But basically, a sad lamp, which stands for seasonal affective disorder, yeah. is a bright light box or, or a bright lamp, which, like, floods your floods you with bright daylight. Now, I'm a big fan of free. I really am. If there is a way to fix a problem for free, yeah. please do it and the reality is if you can go outside that's free and you'll get sunshine Fresh air, but yeah. admittedly in the north we live in the northern hemisphere in the winter it might be cold snowing or you might have a job or you might have do you should be a shift worker and be unable to get outside in the bright sunshine in which case an uh, an SAD lamp or a light box can be really helpful it can be helpful for your mood because that's why we They're called SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, which is the winter blues or a winter depression. Yeah, it's
1: hard, And
0: light can help us feel happier. But it also can help us be more awake during the day because, you know, our melatonin, we produce melatonin when, when there's darkness. And if you're at home and it's winter and you're not really getting any bright light exposure, your brain doesn't really know, is it daytime? Is it not? I'm not really sure. So if you give yourself lots of really bright light from one of these light boxes, your brain's like, oh, yes, my goodness, it's definitely daytime. We should be really awake and alert, and we should conversely be sleeping later in the evening. Now, with a light box, there are some caveats because when you put it on is important because you don't want to put it on at the wrong time. If you put it on in the evening, your brain's going to go, oh, look, it must be midday, all this light. Surely to start the day, yeah. <clears throat> um, if you are, say, um, 40 or 50, uh, sorry, fifty, sixty, seventy 60, 70 years old, putting it on first thing in the morning maybe isn't helpful because oh. as we get older, our circadian rhythm starts to shift earlier and getting bright light exposure too early can mean that you're shifting your circadian rhythm even more and you'll start waking up at 3 in the morning and falling asleep Whoa. at 6 p.m. Don't want that. <clears throat> so yeah. it depends on, um, you know, when when you when use it is important. As a general rule, if you're struggling to fall asleep in the evening, so you, you go to bed but it takes you an hour or two to fall asleep, use it first thing in the morning. If you're falling asleep too early and waking up too early, use it later in the day. Okay. And I'd say use it for, <clears throat> build it up slowly. Use it for 30 minutes to an hour a day at most. But if you have something like bipolar disorder, epilepsy, you, you should speak to your doctor because those uh, are definitely, you shouldn't use an SAD
1: box with those conditions and surely there must be a quality control check i guess so definitely speak to your doctor on where you're buying these from what ones they are are they even yeah. the right light that you need i don't really understand yeah. but so surely... you can spend
0: hundreds of pounds
1: on one yeah. or you can
0: buy a cheap one for 30 pounds oh, yeah. as long as they do the right do job, the job you don't need to spend hundreds of pounds on wow
1: one. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating the subject of sleep in itself and uh, another question we've got here is about nightmares which i think is really helpful so tim um, has said is there a way of reducing the frequency of nightmares or stressful dreams and sure. is that the processing in the day yeah kind of so okay. the, absolutely if you're having nightmares there's a sign
0: that there's something going on in your life you need to deal with maybe a writing therapy which again is free just write stuff down or talk to a friend or mm. talk to a counsellor or look at your life and think well okay is there something really stressful i'm not Dealing with, and I need to maybe change my job or or change this aspect, but if you're having repeated nightmares that have the same kind of plot, then there's a really good um, thing called um nightmare rescripting or dream rescripting therapy which is used in PTSD and what this is is that you think about the last Bad dream that you had. Mm. So th- this person think about okay, what what was the bad dream you had last night? Think, mm. bring it to mind during the day. Think about it, and then what we want to do is we want to re-script that in our mind, as in change it. Because when we have a bad dream, we feel powerless. You know, I'm having a bad dream and being chased by a monster. Um, it's going to eat me, and I'm really scared. And I wake up during the day. What I want you to do is to recall that bad dream. Okay, I'm being chased by a monster, but practice changing it re-script it as if you were a script writer yeah so i'm imagining i'm being chased by a monster and i'm running down the road and out of the wind out of the doors loads of puppies come running out yeah, yeah. and they start running to me and licking me and and i'm ticklish now they run up to the monster and they start tickling the monster yeah. and and then lots of balloons fall out the sky and then you, know, you just change it to something silly comic cute practice doing that during the day and then at night, when you're having the bad dreams, you're you're sort of setting those neural pathways. You're training your brain how to change a bad dream into a good one.
1: It's invaluably helpful. I can only imagine as well um, for parents listening as well about children that get nightmares. We need so what I've taken away from this. so I should have just saved it for the food for thought at the end is that, you know, when my children get to that stage, we need to talk a lot more in the day and try and process yeah. everything and is it true the brain um there's a lot of cleaning out when mm-hmm. we're asleep i've read about and the difference between gray if you could touch on gray matter or does that make a difference
0: sure well gray matter is the part of our brain yeah. that that, we're, uh, that we use to to think and so our brain there was a study in 2019 that used um neural imaging so a machine to look at physically look inside the brain while someone was sleeping yeah and this is the most fascinating piece of research so We've known for a long time. In
1: 2019. Yeah. Oh wow! Not that long ago.
0: So um, there's been lots of we know that not getting enough sleep has been associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's dementia. So we know that not getting enough sleep, dementia, hand in hand. But why? And this neurological neuroimaging study showed that when we're asleep, we have these um, we have a cerebrospinal fluid, and channels open up to the brain during our sleep, and this fluid physically washes over our brain <gasps> and physically spring cleans basically and washes away these thing called amyloid plaques yeah. and amyloid plaques are these sticky substances that build up in the brain and when we're asleep the cere- cerebrospinal fluid physically washes them away and we know that a buildup of amyloid plaques linked is linked yeah. to Alzheimer's yeah. now the point is this is also important if you're not getting enough sleep your brain doesn't have time to do all of these things it's like when we're stressed if you're busy and stressed, your bathroom, cleaning your bathroom, isn't your priority. You think, well, I'll do that when I, you know, I need to feed the kids. And I need to take mm. the dog for a walk and, and do this, but that will have to wait. And that's fine in the short term. But what if you are so stressed that you don't clean your bathroom for weeks, mm. months, years? Imagine the buildup of disgustingness in your mm. bathroom. And this is what happens with our brain. If we don't get enough sleep for a night or two or or a season of our lives because we're dealing with young children or whatever... It's not amazing, but it's not the end of the world. It's when we continue to not get enough sleep long-term that
1: these things
0: start to build up to a stage where it's so negative for our health.
1: Gosh, everybody, we need to be prioritising our sleep, Um, which leads me on to uh, a fun bit of the podcast. Well, you might not think it's fun. (laughs) Um, The Fact or Fiction round. Are you ready, Lindsay? Okay. Okay, if you could answer Fact or Fiction to the following your body gets used to a lack of sleep fiction you can cope with it
0: but it, it's, it's not, you don't get used to it it doesn't like, make it okay, you can get used to eating McDonald's
1: yeah. every single meal good analogy, um, a nap after lunch can be beneficial for the brain and help to boost energy levels absolutely yes, true men are more likely to experience poor sleep no, opposite, Win. sorry Oh, sucks. Um, there are foods which can help you sleep Uh, Yes, things like complex carbohydrates that are slow-release
0: energy during the night, uh, much better for sort of helping you through the night. And things like nuts that Mm. contain
1: um, tryptophan, which is like a precursor of melatonin. Fantastic. Um, You should maintain your regular sleep routine on holiday. Um, yes, in
0: an ideal world. But then again, we don't live in an ideal world, do we? We, we? It's not like the world is perfect. So, yeah. yes, absolutely. We should continue eating healthily and exercising regularly
1: whilst on holiday. But we don't. Um, no. Same with sleep. No, it's true. I've had a few clients that have to cross time zones for work frequently and they stay on the same time. And it, I just don't know how they do it. But it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, alcohol does not have any effect on the quality of sleep completely untrue it really does let's touch on that after uh, we sleep better when we go to bed and wake up the same time every day absolutely yes true and um, you should get up as soon as your alarm goes off absolutely true yes please please do that oh. everyone oh. It's so important <laughs> um, sleeping on your back has no advantages
0: uh no there are advantages for all sorts of different ways of sleeping is it
1: possible to grow out of insomnia
0: To grow out of it. Mm. Well, that's an interesting turn of phrase. Mm. It's impossible to get past it, for sure, if your lifestyle changes
1: and you're not stressed anymore. That's a fantastic um, fact or fiction round. I want to touch on several points. Alcohol, just quickly. I know a lot of people heard it. Dehydrates, but what is the impact on sleep? Sure. Well, actually, alcohol is, is a sedative, so it actually helps you fall asleep.
0: So you might think, oh, great, I'll start drinking. And lots of people do. However, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. When you drink alcohol, it changes your sleep cycles. It changes how you sleep. So what happens is you might fall asleep or pass out for three hours, but then your sleep continuity for the rest of the night is ruined because um,
1: alcohol really disrupts the quality of your sleep. So don't use alcohol to help you sleep. Um, Getting up at the same time every day basically. Yeah. Um, and what about clock changes? I should have asked yeah, you about yeah. clock changes. I can't stand <clears throat> clock changes. Yeah. Is there any benefit to them? Why do we do it? <laughs> well,
0: uh, the, the main benefit was because um, when children had to walk to school, when parents didn't have cars and we lived in a society where people walked everywhere, um, if it's dark in the morning, then children might get run over by cars. So we have the clock change to make it lighter earlier so that children don't die. So that's very good and important. However, our bodies don't adapt well to clock changes. It's
1: horrendous with kids.
0: Yeah. And awful. It's, it's, it's interesting because um, actually the clock change when we lose an hour's sleep yeah. for adults is actually great for parents mm. because children don't, can't tell the time so they sleep mm. in and when the other cha- oh. clock change happens when we gain an hour's sleep parents and young children it doesn't matter at all so the, the point is we should prepare for the clock change the few days before no, so start yeah. moving towards the new time zone by 15-20 minutes every sort of two, three, four days before the clock change so that when the clocks change nothing will you know your body will go, and, will go to bed at the normal time wake up at what it thinks is the normal time and everything is perfect. So I'm glad you planning. said that
1: because that's what I, I have done and people are like, I can't believe you're taking the effort to do no, that. It's but great. it's made such a difference to my and, lifestyle and the kids. And
0: also you should do it with young children going on holiday. Yeah. Because if you go on holiday to, you know, Greece or whatever and it's the, even if it's just a two, three hour time difference, if you have young children that's huge. So if you can get your move your young children yeah. to the new time zone before holiday, or at least partway
1: there it makes things a lot easier what about keeping them on so i'm thinking what if the routine goes from sorry i'm just asking loads of personal advice but it's my podcast um seven to seven and what if it goes to nine to nine does that matter when you're on holiday for a week or no not at all okay good to know fantastic oh there's so many questions for you lindsay but that does wrap up our episode i'm devastated because i want to keep talking about sleep um we finish with a food for thought and i think mine today is that this The conversation we've had has really hammered home for me the importance of looking after our brains and the fact that sleep does that massively for health outcomes like you've mentioned with neurodegenerative diseases like dementia, Alzheimer's, the umbrella, um, looking at uh, I guess our heart health, our sleep health. Sleep is a, a big deal and too often I believe it's brushed off in society um oh well drink loads of coffee crack on i have to say from a nutritionist point of view more than two to three cups in my mind a day is just not ideal um what what is your take-home message on food for thought today
0: yeah absolutely it's about that sleep shouldn't be something that you that you just don't prioritize because if you if you prioritize your sleep you're going to be happier you're going to be healthier you're going to be more efficient if you're not sleeping because you think you should do all the things around the house or be superwoman or superman but then you're neglecting your sleep you're actually going to get sicker and your family will have to look after you you're going to not be as productive at work you're going to put your health at risk it's it's really it makes sense to put your oxygen mask on yourself before helping others. So get enough sleep so that you are the best you that you can be to help your family and friends and be the best at work.
1: Wow. Well, wow, what an episode. Lindsay, thank you for coming on Food for Thought. Where can our listeners go to find out more about the amazing work that you do? Oh, Sure. <clears throat> so I'm
0: on all social media at Dr Browning Sleep, Dr. Browning Sleep. Um, and my website is troublesleeping.co.uk. And they can read uh, my self-help sleep book, which has got lots of um, really useful information about how to help yourself sleep, which is called Navigating Sleeplessness.
1: Amazing. Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you. Right. That's it. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, you will love what we have coming up in future episodes. I have no doubt. So if you're not already, you just have to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. So this means you get a little notification bell. I wish I'd known about it earlier. So you don't miss out on the new episode and it comes out every single Monday. We've been doing Mondays since the start of Food for Thought. We're now on series 16. There is a lot of misinformation out there and I really hope that we're continuing to bring you the latest research along with our special guests to ensure. That you're just getting the best experience possible. So if you are enjoying our episodes and you're learning lots, then please do leave us a review or get in touch. This will help enormously and ultimately help us reach more people and make sure we're doing the right thing by you and giving you the right information. So if you want to learn more about the best-selling books, the clinic perhaps you need to book in to see one of our fantastic clinicians or to find out more about Retrition Plus, you can find everything you need to know on Retrition.com and And you can follow, of course, me on Retrition on all social media platforms. Yes, I'm even on TikTok now, guys. So you can head over there and check it out.